Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the View from the Nest podcast. I'm Dark Forest Capital and as always I'm joined by my good friend AG. We're both contributors at the Index Co-op. We're going to take you through what the community has been up to over the last week and if we have time we'll talk a little bit about what else is going on in the crypto space. It was a hell of a week last week, AG. Um, how are you holding up? Yeah, I think coping is probably the right the right word. You know, really like how you know the bankless guys do. What's the state of the nation today? It's uh, yeah, the state of the nation is coping. Well, at least me personally. What what about you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing okay. Uh, I said to you, I think we've gone through probably a two or three years of bear market in maybe three days there over the weekend. Uh, I couldn't help myself staring at the charts quite a lot of the time. Not, Still not sure really what happened. Uh, there's rumours that it was related to minor capitulation and um, the, the moving of, of hash rate out, out of China based on the latest regulation to come from the government there. So I'll have to kind of wait and see if that's what caused that final... like extreme leg down that we saw last week um but yeah i'm, I'm also just about coping uh, i think we've, we've both been in the space long enough to try and sort of shrug these off <laughs> where we can and uh we're all still here building you know newsletter still went out on on sunday everybody still turned up to the weekly call today and uh yeah you can't knock the enthusiasm really i think we're, we're too far gone at this stage um Everybody knows that this is the future of finance, so here we are, still building. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, we sort of talked about a little bit about the market, and uh, yeah, I sort of felt like we literally went through all five or seven stages of grief in in like three days, and it was yeah, I think it was sort of utter capitulation. Uh, psychologically and just based on sort of the market action, the prices. And uh, I was looking at like prices from all-time high levels on, I want to say Sunday morning, um, and like anywhere you look, it was at best 65% down and at the worst. I think Badger was down like 90% at some point and uh, several other projects. So like basically you were 65 or more all the way down to 90%, including the sort of the, the blue chips, right? Which was, I don't know, it was shocking to me to see that, right? Because nothing really happens. Like, I don't know, Sushi, I think generated the most volume, same with Uni. Uh, Sushi actually has value accrual to the token. So uh, same with a lot of other DeFi projects. It was just, it was bizarre. It's like you said, the two, three year bear market in, in less than a week. It, it was absolutely just shocking. Like the speed um, and, and the ferocity of like the drop is just didn't make any sense. Yeah, well, I covered it on the first point in the newsletter this week and talked about um, how our products held up during that period and I, th- I think they did their job I think in terms of like the thematic indexes DPI and MVI obviously they, they didn't avoid um, huge drawdowns but 
I mean, MVI, we were looking at about 42% down from the peak, I think. And constituents, including like what I consider to be pretty decent projects like NFTX were down over 60%. So um, the index held up well, it did its job, it protected from like maximum losses basically. And, and DPI, I believe, did the same. I didn't realize Badger had gone down like 90%. That's absolutely incredible. But uh, yeah, the, the idea of holding. I think it's the same with NFTX actually, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, I had a quick look on the chart and I, I saw it was just over 60% from the like the 24-hour period that I was looking at. But um, yeah, maybe it, it dropped even further. Yeah, so obviously holding the indexes in, in those cases was, was the thing to be doing. And the same sort of goes for the fly products uh, we just had a bit of a debrief earlier today from felix um the founder of set protocol and he he kind of debriefed the index co-op and, and talked a bit about what was going on in the background and uh yeah i know those guys the engineering team at least were up like for a 24-hour period to make sure the rebalances went through that the products and and the users weren't subject to to liquidations um we've ended up with a bit of a premium on ETH2X fly uh, out of the backside of it because we've run into the cap and it can't be arved down. So we're, we're currently dealing with that issue. But in terms of like avoiding liquidations, those products did their job. Um, you know, that's what it says on the tin effectively is that you hold this token, you don't have to worry about managing your position. So again, I think we can give ourselves a slap on the back there. Um, it was a hell of a test for, for DeFi and, and crypto in general. And we've come through just about smelling of roses, I think. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be as as positive or optimistic in sort of portraying the situation. I certainly think that no liquidations was a massive uh, positive for the product, especially given the uh, the market conditions. And you know, huge kudos to set guys for for managing for keeping an eye on the products and uh, triggering you know emergency emergency deleveraging and and so on and so forth i think that on the premium right i think we could have done some things uh, better but at the same time i think no one sort of expected this situation right we've had several times previously where the uh, the unit supply cap was actually hit and did not result in anything remotely similar. So I think it was just a coincidence of this type of uh, price action coupled with us hitting the supply cap limit literally like a couple of days before it all started. Um, so I do think we could have could have done something, uh, some things better in terms of communication um, on the premium, but I, I do think that like we sort of try to do our best to manage the situation with sort of the the tools and, and within the constraints that, that we had. Um, another thing that I think is important is that a, a test like this, right? Like if it's sort of like doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And that's almost the most exciting thing about having gone through this period with the fly series it, it's just the level of understanding of the product in distressed market conditions that it gives us and the ability to improve 
the mechanism improve kind of the contracts um, improve the the deleveraging mechanism and so on like that insight i think is invaluable and i hope that we'll sort of use it right before uh, we run into a sort of similar environment again yeah agreed and lessons learned are really important in this case and um they are new products and they're pretty innovative and i think but i think you're right like we need to learn from this and we need to make improvements and and that's what we're doing um and if i can sort of jump ahead a little bit the last item that I actually covered in the newsletter was the uh, delegation of the parameter updates for these products. And I think that is obviously, you know, a necessary next step in this case where we can, we can prevent ourselves from having to go through the rigmarole of an IIP every single time we want to move the cap. And clearly there is a reason for that cap. Um, and it's not just like paying lip service to the to the idea of safety you know it's there for a reason but if we have a mixture of the set team DeFi pulse and index co-op uh, product working team members all looking at that and making sure we're raise, rising raising the cap sorry um, to the correct amount each time and, and doing it sort of proactively so that we don't keep bumping into it that's really the next step for us in making sure that these products like operate more smoothly in the future and we can incorporate this learning into that basically yeah i think so like there is also like you said there is a reason the cap is there right and uh, partially it's just to make sure everything works as as designed uh, given that the product is new but also as you said it's for the safety reasons right so one obviously if there's no cap, the product is going to get really big and it's going to hold a lot of CETH, so compound ETH. And then if it needs to deliver, it will have to sell a lot of ETH. And and so obviously then it takes longer to deliver because you need more transactions to do so. And not only that, but at the moment, the way um, the deleveraging uh, process works or the rebalancing process in general is we rebalance through uh, the ETH USDC pool on SushiSwap, right? So our ability to rebalance is partially affected by the depth of that pool. And if we are, if the product gets really big and we need to deliver, not only is it going to take a lot of transactions, but there's going to be a lot of selling of ETH going through this one pool on SushiSwap, which will have decent uh, price impact as well. So that's where, like, we will, I think we will keep uh, running into, not issues, but conversations around the cap, just because, like you said, it's there for a reason, but there are improvements in the process that we can make right so just instead of like using just one sushi swap pool we can use uh, multiple pools and so on and so on right so there there are various improvements that can be made um, but in the way the product is currently designed it, it needs to be like a gradual process and 
I don't know, but I would assume that there is like a upper limit to how much supply uh, units we can actually have, like the max, given the current design. And so we just need to be very cautious around that. I might just be speaking for myself here, but I, th- I think it can sometimes be easy to take for granted just exactly what's going on behind some of these tokens. At the end of the day, as a user, you may be just the idea pops into your head one day, you wake up, you're feeling a little bit degenerate and you think, I want to go levered long on ETH. I'm going to pick up some ETH2X fly. But in, in the background, like say we've, we've had the set team sort of working super diligently and to rebalance it, to make sure it goes through this stress test um, as cleanly as possible. And then all the points that you're now making is like there's a ton of learning to come out of this and ways that actually we can improve it and I believe Felix said on the weekly call today that actually he's going to put in some time to have a bit more of a technical meeting and technical discussion around it with the community and I guess that's that's the place for us to sort of discuss these ideas um, these learnings and see how we improve the, the product going forward if you take something like DPI I mean we saw um, DeFi Pulse or Pulse Inc roll out an updated version of their methodology and they've done that a couple of times now and with with something a lot uh, simpler and, and much slower you know that can be done very easily as we go along whereas here with the fly product obviously we, we've had a bit of a baptism of fire the thing's only been live for two months but already it's it's gone through this um, you know period of absolute volatility uh, and clearly there's there's a, a number of like learnings that we can implement quite quickly off the bat of that as you rightly say, like it hasn't killed us, but it's it's going to make us stronger, and not ideal for some of the customers that have, you know, been affected by the the premiums. And there's definitely some improvements we can make there around communications, uh, and I believe there will be some updates going out around it to to kind of explain what's going on and what has been going on. Um, but again, like to expect all of this to be like smooth sailing. When you when you understand exactly what's going on in the background and the fact that it is a brand new product and we are as a as a community and an engineering team still learning about it, I, th- I think we're, we're certainly doing the best we can and I know that we're going to move forward um, in the right direction on it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and it's like it's just worth thinking through like why why is there a premium, right? And in my mind, obviously there is a supply cap, but at one point, I think the premium was above 50%. And to me, that simply signals the demand for the product. That's It's the same reason the GBTC traded, the Grayscale BTC Trust traded at premium for years, right? Like there's demand for the product. And I think part of the reason why we weren't maybe as proactive with raising the cap was that we just, A, we didn't think these sort of market conditions would happen, but we also underestimated the the demand for leverage, especially during the period of volatility. And that's uh, partially it's a good problem to have, right? Like you underestimate the demand for your product, but it's certainly a learning that you know. Also, just thinking in terms of like the governance process, the way it's currently constructed, it takes us like four days to actually raise the supply cap, and so. It's almost like we should always try to raise it when we are like 100K units away from it, right? Because if you have three days of volatility, that 100K is going to get hit. Um, and 
purely from the profitability perspective as well, we are missing out on that mint and redeem volume during the busiest period. So yeah, it's, um, it's fascinating. Like there is so many learnings from it. And uh, I think we're going to sort of improve from here and certainly, you know, feeling pretty bad for those people who bought at significant premium that has now compressed to about 10%. Um, that's kind of really unfortunate, you know, and, and hopefully we can sort of avoid the situation in the future just based on what we learned here. Yeah, I mean, well, that being said, it, it's still nice to hear you um, look at things from the positive side for a change, JG, uh, in terms of like this obviously shows there's a lot of demand for that product. So, um, yeah, well done for putting on your rose-tinted glasses for a change. Uh, it's just, just for you. <laughs> yeah, it's much appreciated. All right, let's 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 switch over then to more on the CeFi side of things and something that could have easily been missed this week, which is the fact that we finally got DPI listed on KuCoin, which is classified in general like crypto lexicon as a tier two exchange, but it's pretty much like one of the premier Asian exchanges. I think Big Sky likened it to the, the Kraken of Asia, basically. So it's up there and it has decent trade volumes. We haven't seen that translate to DPI yet. So again, on our list of things to do as a community, I think is get the word out there to uh, to the eastern side of the world, basically the eastern markets, that um, DPI exists, what it does, why you might want to hold it. I mean, even through all that volatility we saw when I checked uh, on Sunday, only about 17K of volume, uh, and that's in dollars, sorry, $17,000 of volume, whereas Aave was up at like, nearly $13 million, um, comp, synthetics, like a few others were, were well north of $2 million. So there's some work to be done there. Um, it has only just launched. Once again, we did launch into like absolute chaos, as we like to sometimes do with our products. But uh, yeah, this one may have flown under the radar for some people. So wanted to raise that DPI is out there on a centralized exchange now. Yeah, if, if you said that in Chinese, you know, it, it, might have had a, a better impact. I, I, yeah, I think it's an education problem. Um, I think if you look at the analytics from our website, for example, our main markets are um, US, UK, and uh, parts of parts of Europe, India a little bit, and that's it. So it doesn't surprise me that there is no volume on KuCoin, and. Um, that's sort of the next, the next step for us is to sort of start educating um, that a geographic, a geographic market, and you know, perhaps sort of another step is to try to get listed on either U.S. or European exchange as uh, sort of our next target. Um, I'm not entirely up to date on the exchange listing strategy, but. I'm, I'm sure the guys are kind of on top of it. Yeah, uh, okay, here goes. I don't know if we have any Chinese listeners, but if we do, you can write in and correct me on this. But I believe in Chinese it would be something like DPI Shinzai Beiluru KuCoin, which means DPI is now listed on KuCoin. So yeah, um, correct me if that's wrong. AG, I'm not sure if you can tell like on my, my Chinese pronunciation there, but uh, might have been a little bit off, but I think I've nailed it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we got it out there. It's been a long time coming on this one, and uh, I know Big Sky is obviously like just very distracted with all of the strategic sales stuff that he had going on in the background. So it's probably a real um, like weight off of his shoulders just to get this one out there, get it listed. And uh, yeah, now we just need to turn up the volume on it and, and try and get people trading it and see how we go from there. For me, it's going to be quite interesting to see if we can actually influence those volumes or if it's just the fact that DPI is not really an attractive product to trade. Um, certainly when I joined the, the index co-op, I was thinking of the reason that an index product is going to be really big in cryptos because I have a lot of friends who have bought stuff on Binance and then just let it sit in Binance for like two years. And I figured that if we could have index products centrally listed, then those kind of people can just buy it and it does the work in the background and you come back to it in two years and it's still holding the you know the, the top assets for you. So maybe trading volume is not really that important and we just need to look at our people sort of picking it up on a on an exchange because it's a cheaper way of doing it than trying to pick it up in the midst of like eighteen hundred Gway gas prices on Ethereum. So yeah, I, I don't think it's as straightforward as like we just list it and we expect there to be loads of volume and then job done. Um, I think there's there's definitely some tunables here and, and we can learn and uh, tweak as we go and, and use what we learn from KuCoin to inform any like future listings that we're going to be targeting. Yeah, we should start tracking DPI on exchanges, which sort of like gives us that uh, other people are holding on, on exchanges, sort of what you were talking about. I... You know, from the perspective of kind of retail users buying, right? There, there are two. Like, you want an easy enough experience. You know, you you want low friction, and, and you also want uh, cheap fees. And it's interesting because I feel like with with mobile wallets, you actually get a very low friction because it's super easy to buy. Uh, but you still have to pay Ethereum fees because most of them are smart contract wallets and they have integration with Uniswap and that's how you buy. So you still have to pay Ethereum fees. But with centralized exchanges, it's actually a uh, higher friction uh, method, right? Like, for example, I don't have a KuCoin account. I need to, I don't know, open it up, uh, do KYC, transfer money in, whatever. And that's a lot of friction. Um, but you're not paying the fees. So it's kind of like catch-22 a little bit, uh, especially as it sort of relates to those uh, users that you were talking about, kind of retail, they want uh, a simple solution and, and low friction and just to be able to buy it uh, really easily. So, yeah, I, I think, again, it's the it's a process of evolution of our strategy when it comes to distribution and uh, still early days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see how it goes. One product that it's certainly doing a lot better than is CGI. Uh, I did make a note in the newsletter this week that we have a proposal on the forum to deprecate that product, um, which is, I think, super sad. Uh, I was very excited when CoinShares like, first approached us Obviously, getting to know Michael, he's done a great job like integrating with the Index Co-op community. He came on our podcast a while back to talk about CGI just before it launched. 
Um, and, and I really liked the methodology behind it. I thought it was something a little bit unique, you know, and something a bit more in depth than just a standard sort of market cap weighted product. Um, and so it's a shame to see it go. Obviously, there's more learnings. That's like the theme of today's podcast really is, is lessons learned here. But um, yeah, CoinShares really didn't follow up to, uh, I wouldn't say too well, but they didn't follow up in the way that we expected them to on this product. And the lack of liquidity on the wrapped gold token just made it a non-starter, basically. So without that push from CoinShares, without that, you know, stumping up the liquidity to get the product kickstarted, it's just not going to go anywhere, um, which is a shame. There's some obviously like external reasons we can talk about the fact that the market is, is pretty much risk on at the moment and this is a product with gold in it. But I don't know. For me, I, I still would have I still would have been looking to like hedge into this and, and hold it at certain points uh, in my portfolio. I don't know, maybe gold is a like a real turn off for people who just transact purely like on chain within DeFi. But um yeah, shame to see it go, I think. What about what were your thoughts on this, AJ? Yeah, I, no, I think you covered it well. I think lack of liquidity for the wrap gold coin um, and lack of sort of coin shares commitment to creating that liquidity. I, like, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but basically, I think we expected there to be liquidity and there wasn't any. So I think that that sort of was the main problem. I honestly like, in terms of demand for the product, I think it's just. Yeah, maybe it was just the timing was a bit off and it wasn't quite like perfect fit for DeFi, but I still think if there were no liquidity issues, I still think we would have run this for the next 12 months. And I think that during this last 10 day sell off, you know, we could have promoted the hell out of that product. Downside capture anyone like this would have been a perfect product to hold over the last two weeks. And I certainly, you know, when I learned that we're going to be launching it, I certainly considered it as as my sort of taking profits as, as we go up in ETH BTC and, and ALTS and taking them into CGI. So yeah, I think a combination of factors, but I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if product like this sort of comes back it wouldn't surprise me if uh, someone launches it using uh, Paxos Gold or another gold stablecoin. Um, I still think it's a it's a great product. Yeah, we'll have to do some d- digging around the um, Token Sets website and see if somebody's got something similar up and running already. There might there might already be something. But yeah, shame to see it go. Uh, I think there. Okay, last up this week was the liquidity mining strategy put forward or at least the discussion points put forward by Overanalyzer on the forum. Um, I want to hand this one over to you pretty quickly, AG, because I think you had some some really good points and you did a great job of drawing everybody's attention to V3 because actually reading through the original post and the subsequent discussion before you jumped in, um, it seemed like everybody kind of glossed over the fact that it existed. Uh, but obviously it's revolutionary in terms of like slippage, trade, trading like positions sizing whatever um so yeah i'm keen to get your sort of rundown on, on where you think we should be on incentivizing liquidity yeah yeah so my take on this is that uni v3 is a part paradigm shift when it comes to liquidity incentives 
right? If you think about liquidity and and why uh, we need liquidity I in the first place, right? It's basically it's a customer experience uh, problem, right? We want our customers to be able to buy our product in the size that they want with minimum slippage, right? That's what liquidity is there for. Like liquidity itself is not really a product unless we start seeing the LP token as like a better product than the original token. But let's just ignore that that for now. So um, yeah, liquidity is not is not the product. And so when we talk about Incentives, that's what we're trying to incentivize, right? We're basically trying to incentivize a good customer experience, which manifests itself in someone's ability to buy in the size they want with low slippage. And Univ3, being 10x more efficient, solves that problem for us without any need for incentives, right? So give you an example. Let's, let's say that... I haven't checked recently, but let's just say that the DPI uh, UniV2 pool is 50 million, right? And let's just, let's say that UniV3 is not 10x more efficient, but 5x more efficient for DPI ETH, right? It means that we can have the same customer experience when it comes to the size of transactions and slippage at a $10 million pool on V3 versus a $50 million pool on V2. And if you look at the transaction volume in the V2 pool, uh, again, it's four or five uh, million daily. So imagine that transaction volume on a $10 million pool, right? Like the trading fee APY is gonna be through the roof, which is gonna attract more LP. So we might end up with like a 25 million V3 pool without any incentives, just because it's more capital efficient and LPs by concentrating their liquidity are actually generating a lot of fees. And so a 25 million V3 pool, if it's 5X more efficient than V2, is an equivalent of 125 million V2 pool, which gives like, which makes the customer experience go through the roof without a dollar spent on incentives. So it, yeah, it literally like it blew my mind when I read that forum post and I didn't see that conversation. And yeah, like the possibilities that this opens up are just immense, right? We're spending seven hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars on uh, DPI incentives per month. And yeah, I think index price is down, so it's probably not the same anymore. But we can take that money and we can incentivize we can directly incentivize unit supply growth through whatever discounts, cashbacks, what have you, right? It's gonna like it's gonna be better than incentivizing liquidity because again, liquidity is not the product. Like it's not how we grow AUM. So yeah, it's a bit a bit disappointing, I guess. But um, you know, I think I think we're gonna get there, and uh, it. it you know, there's still a lot of things that we need to figure out about V3 and and figure out how, if, for example, if the co-op is going to uh, seed some of these liquidity pools, like how do we need to concentrate our positions? How can we automate the liquidity provisioning uh, through smart contracts? 
and and so on so that there's definitely work but in my mind right like if we say that this costs us 750k of savings per month right like that's a lot of money and, and if we need to pull in all of the engineering resources for one month to do it in my mind that's the positive ev move for us absolutely i love it um your, your post certainly made a splash i saw a few people sort of react to you uh, especially over analyzer and say that they sort of overlooked it um so it's brought the the focus that's needed i know we were talking a little bit about v3 just before the podcast and and how there isn't like a, a go-to model for incentivizing liquidity on there yet because nobody's really figured it out um i shared in the product group the other day there was a, a post from dan robinson who wrote my favorite article uh, ethereum is a dark forest and at Paradigm, uh, I think it's Paradigm, they've basically sat around and worked out how it would work. His article was, was saying, and the caveat here is that I'm not a Solidity dev, but he's basically saying that it's not dissimilar to how it works at the moment. And in terms of the maths behind it, you can just do some funky stuff to basically still calculate um, per block, like how much liquidity was being provided per you know address or whatever it might be. So it, it sounded to me like, from the the gist of it was there are a few trade-offs with it obviously because you're you're talking about an, a non-fungible position effectively a liquidity position effectively but um the, the way that you incentivize that can still be done in the same way so i'm interested to see who comes out with it first it seems like at the moment like you say the the fact that because you can be so concentrated with your liquidity and you can earn trading fees to a decent extent like if you're if you're actively managing, the only thing that's stopping people moving over is like that initial slug of liquidity that that actually sort of kickstarts these pulls off. So maybe it's a case of um, we come up with a plan to put you know a couple of million here or there into DPI, MVI, whatever it might be, and actually that's enough for everybody else to dive in and and maybe spread themselves a bit more widely. Like if, if they're a less sophisticated trader, like somebody like myself. Um, I can be a bit more conservative with my window, but I know that I'm not going to get wrecked because I'm just adding on where there is already liquidity. Uh, and then you start the snowball like rolling at, at that point. Um, I'm not sure if that's like technically the right way to look at it, but that seems to make sense to me. Well, you can just say, look, if you shift your liquidity to V3 and you provide proof of transaction, right? Like you get an airdrop. So, you know, that way you're incentivizing people to move. Um, and if the hypothesis is that moving is the hardest part, um, then you can incentivize that directly. And then once, you, once, once they're there and you see trading volume start to go through the V3 pool away from the V2 pool, um, the trading API is going to be significant. Um, and that will incentivize more and more people. And we just need to, like... We just need to do really good education uh, video, like explainer, uh, medium post, you know, just to sort of hold people's hand through through this whole process. Because I don't know if you told me like I need to move my liquidity to V three like tomorrow, yeah, I'd be I'd be pretty scared. I'll, I'd be like trying to figure out, trying to read everything I can get my hands on. Um, 
tried to calculate like the ranges and what it all means and then I probably wouldn't sleep for five days because I'd want to monitor it. Um, so we need to be there to sort of help people to do that. But like once they do it and once they get used to it, um, it's just like I said, it's, it's a paradigm shift and we're going to get used to it eventually. Yeah, it would be nice if there was a simple solution. Um, I guess the difficulty with that is then how do you scale like your rewards? If you're happy to just give everybody something for going over there, like it, it can be even simpler than proof of a transaction because they have an NFT. So they can just stake an NFT into a contract and or anybody holding that NFT um, like with that, with that address could get the airdrop. So I think that's straightforward enough to do. I guess... No, I think because all the NFTs are different. Right. Right. So you can't stake it into a contract because they're all different. So if you have 1,000 LP providers, 1,000 different NFTs that you need to, ha to have a contract for. So that's not going to work. Mm. So then the, the same thing is true for the transactions. You, you can't, like, how do you reward somebody who's put one index or one DPI in versus 100 DPI? Anyway, the, the point I was going to make is that projects like um, Xtoken, are looking at starting off uh, with like a managed token or a managed position that, that you can hold. And um, they're looking at stablecoin to stablecoin pairs to begin with between like a very narrow range. But it's a case of show me the incentive and I can show you the outcome. Like if there's incentive in terms of, you know, earning your, your trading fees and having a position that yields you the maximum amount, then there's going to be solutions for it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know how far away those things are, but certainly uh, X Token was supposed to be launching like next month, I think, um, with their U ULP, UXLP, whatever it's called, um, token. So th there are going to be automated solutions for simpletons like myself. Um, hopefully that, that will help the, the process a little bit, reduce some of that friction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I mean, we've kind of flown through everything this week. Um, it's been a bit of a, a wild one. Yeah, we went through all the learnings. Um, no, I don't know. I think uh, I think we've sort of talked about the market a little bit in the beginning, and it's just uh, it was mind-boggling, like the way the way the market behaved and and the way things traded, and just how like vicious those moves were. It was just, I think. It was on Friday, right, when we we saw that like initial drop from like thirty four hundred to like eighteen hundred on ETH. Um, before I think it went back up to like three thousand, and then obviously like the the last wave of selling or capitulation, whatever you want to call it, like on Saturday Sunday, it was just it was it was insane. Like never seen anything like that. Yeah, it was Friday because that's when I got liquidated on DYDX trying to catch the knife, um, which I'm sure you'll you'll love hearing about. Uh, but yeah, it, I remember it dropped to like 2,500, settled for a few minutes, and I thought, okay, this looks pretty good. Um, I'll go in here, drop down. I think I went to chat to you actually on Discord, and I looked back, and it was at 2,300 in like two minutes. So I yeah, I leveraged long again. And then again and again and again, all the way down to about two thousand dollars, and then got got liquidated as it just didn't stop. So um, 
yeah, I, I missed catching the knife on that one. But yeah, I, I want to say that in terms of like the community's response and all of the core contributors that I've spoken to, I was really impressed by you know how everybody kept their chin up and pretty much, like I said at the start, just shrugged it off. Really, like it was pretty miserable to watch you know, Zarian or Zappa portfolio deteriorate um, into nothingness quite quickly. But we're all still here. We're all still building, and we all sat around and had a great weekly call again this week. Like there's so many people on our call now, we don't even do introductions because it takes too long. So, yeah, it's just a testament to what we're building here. There's still yields. There's still stuff to be built. There's still lessons to be learned. And, yeah, it's just a positive reaction from the community, really, which was great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, I don't know, if you if you step out and take sort of the big picture view, like, you could buy Ave and Uni and Sushi and whatnot, like 80% discount. Like, that's pretty amazing, especially considering, like, nothing really happens. Sushi actually has the fee switch activated. Like, they're actually distributing, I don't know, what is it, like 8%, 9% APY to to the stakers. And with that much volatility, like, the volume was, I think, the highest ever, which means that the amount is going to get distributed to the holders. It'll be the highest ever. Um, It's just mind-boggling. And I remember how you and I were talking about how all of our income is in crypto, right? Like, we don't actually have any fiat-denominated, like, um, income. So it's it's really hard to, like, um, yeah, to, like, have fiat to buy the dips just because you just don't get that, you know, bi-weekly or monthly paycheck in dollars or pounds or euros or whatever. And uh, certainly, like, it's the first time that I'm in that position going through such a large uh, dip. And, like, I literally took advantage of uh, gas prices that were, like, 30 or 40 guay, and I just rotated out of a ton of alts into like tokens that I had a lot of conviction in. And I think this is literally like the first time in six to eight months, maybe where literally majority of my positions, like 90% of my positions, I have sort of very strong conviction in. So um, it's been, it's been, kind of a very interesting experience going through the bull market and you kind of like don't have too much time to to research new stuff and then you kind of go into some positions where you have like a decent idea of what's going on but not so great and so your conviction is not quite there um and then just like rebalancing for me like rebalancing into the tokens where i do have really high conviction it just actually makes like made me feel so much better about my portfolio just from like uh, level of confidence uh, perspective. So that's been it's been quite interesting. I'm with you on that. Uh, my highest conviction bet is actually index, and I think the alpha that you get just by working in the co-op community, like you, you can't. No amount of research will do that. You've just got to get stuck in, see the new people arriving, see the new initiatives that we're that we're driving. You know the product pipeline, all of that stuff. So I picked up a bag of index somewhere around the $24 mark which I think is a pretty good place to go in I'm really happy with that and actually I I think what we're doing by contributing to the index co-op and being rewarded uh, monthly is kind of like 
a version of buying the dip because when the price drops, um, you get more index tokens because it's calculated in, in US dollar value. So uh, we're kind of in a roundabout way sort of buying the index dip as we go along, which is, for me, is great. Uh, I love index, um, trying to stack as many tokens as I can because I really think that what we're doing here is great. So yeah, I don't mess around in in the alts that you recommend to me. Not not anymore. <laughs> I got burnt too many times. Yeah, I mean, I could say sort of the same for you. No. With your <laughs> ohm, which is literally the worst investment ever made. So I think <laughs> I think I think we're about equal on that. All right, we'll we'll call it quits going forward then. On on recommending shitty investments to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, this isn't financial advice. But thank you for for tuning in, everybody, once again for another week. Um, And yeah, we'll wrap it up there and uh, catch you again next week. Absolutely. Yeah. If you guys want to kind of tell us which shitty investment you recommended to your friends, uh, drop it in in the comments or, you know, message us on Twitter and so on. Anyway, thanks, Paul. Cool. Another one in the bag.